teaching series just last week, all about uh, the book of Proverbs, and it's based, I'm stealing loads of this, this is the disclaimer, or the, not this, this is the copyright issue taken care of. It's uh, written by Bill Hybels, it's a fantastic book called Making Life Work. I read this in my early 20s, it was one of the first Christian books I'd ever read, and it had a deeply profound impact on me, simply because it's so blimming practical. And that's what Proverbs is all about, which is so, so good. I really sense this morning that some of you are really going to hear the Lord's voice this morning for yourself. And if you act upon what the Lord tells you, what he reveals to you, it has the power to change your life, like literally change your life. Uh, Friday church has begun. We've had four weeks, three weeks, four, four weeks of it so far. Fridays, if you're available, 12 o'clock. On a Friday down unit, uh, unit number 29 Lancasterian Street, we meet there. We've been talking about life-changing uh, or life-giving choices. And as we make life-giving choices, it actually has the power to change our lives. And I keep saying this every single week um, on Friday. It's like I keep referring to it as the new year. We're 42 days into the new year. And, uh, and if you set a New Year's resolution, chances are you kind of broke that on the second or the third day. But the point is this, as we explore, as we journey this stuff together, the book of Proverbs, if we begin to action some of the ancient truths written two and a half thousand years ago, if we action those into our lives, it has a deeply profound way of changing our lives. The title of the book is Making Life Work and Putting God's Wisdom into Action. So last week we introduced the series and we talked about the common theme of the book of Proverbs, which is wisdom. And we explored why, why wisdom, why is wisdom so important? Why does the writer uh, implore or encourage or invite us to get wisdom? It's because it pays. It pays dividends. And we have seen in the lives of other people around us, People thrive and people journey life uh, with wholeness and with great decision-making because of wise decisions. And on the flip side, we have seen people make a real wreck of their lives because of unwise decisions and choices that have been made. And so taking things uh, a step forwards this week, we're going to talk about taking initiative, actually making choices, taking uh, initiative in certain areas of our lives. And I want to begin with a story. I'm going to cut it short. And uh, it's a really, really good story from our trip to Ethiopia just last, last year. We went, a team of us, 12 of us, to uh, Bokaji, which is the place where we sponsor uh, some children. And some of the resources that you give generously to us, we give 5% of what you give, 5p of every pound you give. It goes towards supporting the lives of these wonderful children, this community in Bokaji. And we went there as a team. And uh, Jeff and I, we abandoned ship. We, we left the team to their own devices the last couple of days. And we went elsewhere. And we went to meet with some vineyard church leaders in a different city, which was really exciting too. Plus, we got a nice hotel room and a hot shower, which was fantastic. Um, but we left the rest of the team to their own devices in the care of Johnny Farrell, who was actually sort of in charge anyway, and uh, who works for Stand By Me. And so all of this was unknown to us. But basically, towards the end of their time together, one of the team realized they didn't have their passport. It's like, Flip, we, we've got to go home. 
couldn't find their passport. And the long story, the long story is really good, by the way, and you can ask one of the team later about it. But the long story short was they eventually found the passport, ended up in the bin, ended up in a fire because they burn most of their stuff out there in the bin. And they, the, their passport had ended up in there and they managed to rummage through all the embers and all the ashes to find a passport which was nearly all intact. The outside of it was intact. Most of the things inside were intact, including the name and all those vital details, except for the photograph. The photograph was completely disfigured. You could not make out the person's face on the photograph. So it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? And this is what they did. This is between the person who it was who I'm protecting her identity. And uh, that, that narrows it down to six. Um, and, uh, and Johnny, who was in charge, and, and basically what he did. Fortunately, all of our passports were scanned. And Stand By Me had a copy of them for such eventualities. And so they had that on file, they had that on record, and they emailed a copy of this person's passport across to their head office in Addis Ababa, which is the city which we were flying out of. And the person there had printed off, had uh, printed a color printer of the person's passport, which showed the rest of the details, the person's name and all those other bits, and the photograph of the person. So went with this sheet and the disfigured passport to the airport really early, like hours and hours early, while the rest of us team went and had uh, a nice farewell sort of dinner together, which was all very lovely. And they were there, Johnny and this person, at the airport early, and they managed to track down the Ethiopian airline staff, and they managed to find out and put it to them, this is what's happened, can you see this, can you see that, this is what's happened, will you let us fly home? That was the question, and that was the question on our minds. That was really the question on this person's mind. Am I going to get home? Plan B was also put into place. Plan B was, if, can't, if they will not give us permission to fly home, the rest of us, we were going to go. We, all had, we had to go. We had to all get home for various reasons. But they had already made arrangements for this person to stay in other accommodation in Addis Ababa, for the weekend, and then on a Monday, go to the British embassy, British embassy and obtain an emergency passport and a new flight, and would have got home then. You want to know what happened, didn't you? Well, one member of staff after another, after another, and plenty of initiative and hounding, shall we say, from Johnny, managed, managed to get this person on the flight and got her home, which was absolutely fantastic. Why am I telling you this story? A lot of initiative took place. Johnny, um, I can gossip about him because he's not here, and I can gossip about him because it's good gossip, because we're not into bad gossip, right? It's just an exceptional character, exceptional person at taking initiative, and if it wasn't for the actions that he took in that situation to resolve what was quite a significant problem, things could have looked very, very different. And we are called in life when problems emerge that we take initiative and that we don't simply bury our heads in the sand. And sadly, too often, when things arise and things happen in our lives, we sit back and we can do nothing. 
except we can moan. We can moan about our lives and we can give off and we can uh, complain about the unfairness of life and the frustrations of this modern world that we live in. We can blame our parents. We can blame the teacher. We can blame the government. We can blame the pastor. We can blame your spouse. Blame God for all our problems. Or another alternative is do something about it. Another thing that we can often in our lives is just sit back and kind of dream about, oh, the world is going to be a better place soon, or my life is going to improve. Somehow, someday, I, I see it in the stars. I read it in my stars. We don't do that, by the way, in case I was advocating that. But you, you know, that mentality of life's going to change. If Oh, I hope 2018 is going to be a better year for me, even though last year sucked. Somehow, someday, I feel like doing something with my life. I'll start waking up earlier. I'll stop wasting my time doing, fill in the gaps. I'll start getting my essays done or tasks at work assigned to me on time. I'll stumble upon the job of my dreams. Maybe someday I'll come across my perfect spouse as they float before my very eyes. Maybe someday I'll pay off my credit cards, have a better marriage, stop craving another drink, start exercising, start helping the poor. Somehow, someday, doesn't happen, doesn't come, unless you do something about it, unless you take some initiative. The book of Proverbs calls people like this sluggards. That's a great word, isn't it? <laughs> sluggards. Picture a slug. It's a slimy little creature that leaves a kind of a silvery kind of, I'm kind of doing this, I don't know why I'm doing this, kind of trail behind it. And it eats plant life that we would rather it didn't eat and have to put down those little green pellets to stop it eating. But I'm sure there's some reason why God put them on this earth. The word sluggard can simply be put as lazy. And Proverbs 6, 9 to 11 says this. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. The writer asks, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? And I want to look at three areas or three steps that, we can, that make us, actually prevent us from stepping into the God-given things that he's inviting us into. And the first one is this, I'll do it tomorrow. A fancier word for that is procrastination. I will do it tomorrow. We're in the stage of our lives uh, with our uh, children where we are, uh, I was going to say inviting them to do things, we're telling them to do certain things around the house, like empty the bins, like load the dishwasher, unload the dishwasher, take out the recycling, clear the table, tidy their room, put their shoes, bags, etc., etc. away. Those of you who are in the same stage of life or have gone before us will know that that is like pushing a rock up a hill. And eventually we're hoping someday it will happen without being asked. But it's important, in fact, it's imperative that we as parents instruct our children to do those things, to take initiative. Often, though, it's met with the following few words. I'll 
do it later. I'll do it after I've finished playing this game, watching this YouTube clip, or something else really important in life. We must make them do it. And we, in our lives, must stop putting it off. I'll do it tomorrow. Let's do it today. Secondly, is we make excuses, don't we? It's all too easy to make excuses. Proverbs 22.13 says, The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. What a great proverb. What a great excuse not to have to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. I'm not going out. There's a lion out in the public square. Have you seen any of those recently? And if we adopt that kind of way of thinking and way of behaving, nothing gets done. We make an excuse. Yes, in life, there are going to be situations and circumstances that are frightening. We're going to have to face up to certain things. Overwhelming challenges, heartbreaking disappointments. We're going to have to have awkward conversations, challenging deadlines, high bar expectations, and difficult working relationships. But we cannot use them as excuses not to do anything about it. In our life group on Tuesday night, Someone bravely shared a, um, a working situation which is challenging right now and bravely admitted to the fact that in previous circumstances, in previous occasions, would have kind of avoided awkwardness, would have wanted to have actually ran away from it or tried to do anything just to kind of get out of it. And yet this person bravely is facing the situation of a difficult place and time right now, standing their ground living and working hard and diligently, praying against what they see, doing what they can to bring the kingdom, to bring about changes. Instead of making excuses, is doing something about it. What about our lives? What about the areas of our lives where we make excuses for lack of performance, lack of discipline, lack of diligence, lack of guts and determinations, lack of va va -voom. Some of our va-va-vooms, va-va-gone. We need to somehow resurrect that. And then the third thing, uh, Bill Hybels, he, this is his thing, this is what he says in terms of sluggedness is the 9 out of 10 club. As I'm talking about various things, you're probably thinking, man, I am, I am slogging my guts out. Sluggedness? You call me lazy? You want to see how many hours I work? see how many times I have to do this, this, and this, and then I'm doing this at the weekend, and you, I'm volunteering at church. What else do you want me to do? Working flat out, flat to the mat, and that is our story, many of us. Selective sluggedness. Nine out of ten. We could be attending to nine things in life that are really important and neglecting one. That is extremely, extremely important. Let me read uh, directly from his book uh, just some really great examples. The student who succeeds athletically and socially but fails to take seriously the education of his or her mind. The father who sets sales records at work and has a four handicap on the golf course but fails miserably to respond to the emotional needs of his wife and children. The mother who pours herself out on the job and on the home front 
but who continually neglects her relationship with God. The men and the women who fill their time with people but never tend to the soil of their own interior lives. They never look deeply at the emotional, psychological realities that drive their behavior, affect their goals, and shape their relationships. It's those who spend more money than they have and say tomorrow they'll go on a budget, but tomorrow never comes. It's church members who nod their heads when the pastor challenges them to deeper commitment to God, but when Monday morning rolls around, they're back to being casual Christians. Selective sluggedness. Working hard and knocking the ball out of the park in certain areas, but neglecting one. Here's another example. The parents who say, oh, we've had a really busy week this week. Daddy's had some really difficult meetings at work, and uh, yeah, I know that you're just not feeling very well yourself, so um, do you know what? I know it's Sunday morning. I know we're supposed to be at church, but we're just going to have a family day. Oh, let's put, oh, let's stay in our jammies or jammies or whatever you call them here. And pull the duvet up a little tighter. And do you know what? In a while, I'll make a fry and we can, we can light the log burning stove together and we can just all cozy up. And that's one way of looking at things. Another way of looking at things is if we adopt that mentality and we continue to practice that, as time goes on, begin to drift. We begin to drift from community. We begin to drift from relationship with God and then fill in the gaps. And do you know what the sad thing with that one is? It's the spiritual nourishment and investment into our children, if that's where you're at, is being taken away. Too much is at stake there. So where do we go from here? We've uh, looked at the slugs or we've looked at sluggedness. Well, let's look at another little creature. Let's look at some ants, because that's what the writer of Proverbs does. In fact, the passage before we read in Proverbs 6, the writer says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Do you want to learn about taking initiative? Look at the ants. Consider their ways and adopt what they do. And there's a couple of things really to draw out to begin with. First of all, it says has no commander, no chief, no overseer, no teacher telling them what to do, no parent telling them to lift their stuff, no boss at work telling them you need to do X, Y, and Z. Ants are self-motivated. They don't need someone to tell them what to do. The reason is this. They're concerned about one thing. It's their stomachs, which can't be that big. But they require food. And if they don't get food themselves, they are not going to make it. And then the second one comes to do with the harvest or comes to do with when winter comes. If they don't forecast and look ahead to, the, to the, when the winter comes, there's not going to be enough food. And oh, we would do well to plan our lives, to be doing things today that are going to affect our future tomorrow. And what I would like to do in the remaining time is look at five things, five areas of our lives that we would do really well to attend to now, which will affect our futures tomorrow. And the first one is this, making peace. Making peace. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Fallout, disagreement, conflict, we've said this before, is inevitable in our lives. It just, it's just part and parcel of the deal. It's going to happen. Unresolved hurt caused by relational fallout leads to emotional distance, which leads to resentment and bitterness. And that is not okay. That will draw life out of you and will affect the other people that it involves. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, if it's possible, because sometimes it's not possible, the person has passed away, or the other party does not want to uh, enter into a conversation with you, or if the relational fallout is an abusive situation, it's not possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. If you can, go and sort it out. And that is going to require you maybe saying sorry, maybe taking the lead in it. Nicky Gumbel wrote, I read this during the week, he wrote this, life is so short, grudges are a waste of time, laugh when you can, apologize when you should, and trust God with what you cannot change. Live at peace. The second one is plain old hard work. Just getting on, putting your shoulder to the wheel, that's a great expression, isn't it? Proverbs 14 says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I'm trying to instill this, we're trying to instill this with our kids at the minute, when it comes especially to schoolwork and homework. It's about put the effort in. Don't just do enough to tick the box and hand it in and hope it's all right. You know, work at it. Work at it hard. And it's not, for the, not just for the reason of getting good grades and good grades lead on to better opportunities and all that sort of stuff, although that's obvious. It's about trying to instill in our young people a work ethic now of working hard and working diligently. Why? Because it pays. Attend to it now, it pays in the future. Five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, I want our children to be part of a workforce that is driving things, that is working at stuff, that is bringing life, bringing the kingdom, advancement in different areas of life, whatever it is that God has them to do in their lives. Instill it now. Choose it now because it will pay later. Paul writes to the Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Do we work at what we do with all our hearts? Be it we're at work, be it we're stay-at-home moms, be it that we're retired, be it whatever stage of our lives, studying or whatever it is, do it with all our hearts. It's our spiritual act of worship. Don't be lazy. Don't cut corners. Do it well. We as Christians, I was thinking about this earlier, we should be our employer's best employees. We should be. The ones who work hard, work diligently, and we do it as worship to the Father. He's our boss not the one who pays our, our paycheck at the end of the month. Thirdly, fuel for the race. I might 
ruffle some feathers here, make me unpopular. And if I do, I apologize. We've talked loads uh, before about spiritual health. Naturally, it's important. We've talked lots in church about emotional health. And it's linked with spiritual health. And it's incredibly important. And what I'd like to do briefly is just uh, talk about the importance of our physical health as well. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's important, therefore, that we take care of our bodies, where we take our bodies, who we let touch our bodies, and what we do with our bodies. And in fact, these verses, they were written, the context of it was in particular in relation to uh, sexuality. And of course, we want to pay particular attention of how we honor God with our bodies in regards to that. It's not that that I really want to focus on. It's actually what we put in our bodies and what we do physically with our bodies. We need to attend and be cautious and careful that we don't put the wrong things in or too much of the wrong things in. That we actually take seriously all the health guidelines, that we actually look after ourselves. It's like putting the right fuel in. You know, if you're a, a, a car racer or a motorbike racer, you're into that sort of thing, it's imperative that you put in the cleanest and the best fuel into the, the, the fuel tank so that the thing will race at its highest performance. And then secondly, that we uh, take care of our bodies by actually exercising them. What's the Spirit saying to you about that? What's He saying? What is it that you need to do? Bypass the excuses, take action and take initiative. For some of you, it might be worthwhile just going to the GP and having a physical checkout. If you're going to begin some sort of exercise, it's really good to have had that conversation first. Get a partner and go and do it together. Join a club and go. Go to swim at Slimming World. Buy a dog and walk it. Buy a bike and ride it. I, I used to say, when I used to work here teaching PE, um, Whenever you have parents' evening and the you know parents come and kids come and they sit across the table and you're kind of saying how they're doing and what have you, with the children who really hated PE, it just wasn't their thing. And I totally understand that because art was never my thing. I was rubbish at it. In fact, my teacher once said, I was so proud, I'm still proud of this, I shouldn't be, but I am. My art teacher, Ms. Gidman, bless her, she said, she said to me once, you wait till you read your school report that I've written about you. It's the worst I've ever written about anyone ever. But that's a completely different sideline. It's not in the notes. I wasn't diligent in art. You're absolutely right. I used to say to uh, the parents and to the children, the, those who didn't really like PE, it's like, find something you like doing. There's something out there. There's something it doesn't have to be that you're on the football team or the rugby team or whatever like that. This is obviously with the boys. But find something that you enjoy doing. If weight and exercise is linked to some other emotional need, then again, take initiative and attend to that and do something about that. Folks, you might 
seem like that's quite harsh, me saying those things. And uh, this next bit's harsher. I would rather say that now to you and allow the opportunity to take some initiative than to conduct and preside over your funeral too many years too soon in a place where you leave loved ones behind because you didn't attend to those things. No. And, okay, I'll say that because you're wondering what she's just whispered to you, aren't you? Yes, oh, it's top secret and all the rest. So, in the Bill Hybels book, he then just gives a really personal story. His daddy died at the age of 53. And he was really amazing in so many areas of his life. But the one thing he didn't attend to was his physical well-being. That's what you whispered in my ear. The fourth point, and we're nearing to the end, is money matters. Now you're probably thinking, man, I'm just getting off the ropes from the last one. Now you're going to talk about money. Here we go. <laughs> money matters. And it doesn't matter if you've got a lot of it or not so much of it. It matters. If you don't have so much of it, if you attend to it really, really well, you'll be surprised what you can do with it. And if you have a lot of it, it still matters what you do with it. If you have a lot of it and you, you, you're one of these people that oh, don't need to worry about the mortgage repayment, it's going to come out, don't need to worry about the shop at Tesco's or whatever, it's still important that you take diligence and a closer eye because it can reap great rewards. And stewarding our finances carefully is a sure sign of maturity. And the thing is, it doesn't just affect you. It affects loads of other people. It affects our children if we have them because they see and they learn from us what we do with our money. It affects the poor and those in need. And it matters to the church whose God-honoring pursuits and exploits are potentially hampered and thwarted. Money matters. And it doesn't mean about being tight. When we are careful and we see what's coming in and we see what's going out, it actually gives us freedom. It gives us great freedom to be more generous. And again, at this point, I am going to plug our CAP money course. It is run three, four times a year, and it's brilliant. And I reckon each time we say it, I reckon loads of you are sat in there thinking, that would be really good for me. And I guarantee it, every excuse under the sun not to do it. There is three weeks of it, and it will really, really be life-giving to you. Lastly, be rich towards God. Being rich towards God means giving Him ourselves. Our time, our devotion, our resources, our dreams, our hopes, our forgiveness, our everything. And we might be here going, flipping heck, I'm doing all this stuff for you, God. I'm doing all these things for my family. I've no me time myself. It's about giving him our very best. This is our worship. I'd like you, please, to take out your phones. Take out your telephones. My goodness, those of you who don't have them, well done. It's up to you whether you do this or not. But I just thought, you know, this is our response. 
I'm going to give just a, a minute, a couple of minutes here. You can do one of two things, one of three things. One, you can do nothing, and that's okay. But one, if God has spoken to you specifically about something, and you know yourself, you need to take initiative. You need to do something about it. Then right now, why don't you text someone else or email someone else or Snapchat someone else or something, someone else, what it is that you're going to do. And it might not be you've decided what you're going to do, but you know you need to do something in that area. So go ahead and do that. And if you'd rather not do that, then why don't you, if you have an iPhone, I use Notes as an app, I'm sure, or the other phones probably has some sort of way of writing something down. But right here, right now, before you go, before you leave, why don't you just write down something that you send that you think God is speaking to you about. And be wise. Don't, don't just go and make some brash decision. And... Guys, I really hope this hasn't come across. I, I realize I've, it might come across a bit like I'm telling you what to do. No one likes being told what to do. I, it's really not that. I am encouraging you to reflect, to take time. And then for you, before the Lord, is to do something. And the thing is this, it's life-giving. I guarantee whatever you're writing, if you do it, if you follow through, I guarantee it's life-giving and it will be tremendous. Sergi and the team, why don't you come and you can lead us in worship.